If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 15, and I know it's a little bit different for me to be up here without a jacket on. I hope you'll forgive me for that, but I was already starting to sweat, uh, so I'm, I thought, oh, it's 95 degrees outside. You guys can forgive me for preaching without a jacket on for one sermon. Uh, you all probably should say amen there, there, so I don't feel bad the entire sermon. Uh, but we're in Matthew chapter 15, and I want to be honest with you this morning. I want to be straight up. I absolutely love this passage. Uh, Brandon usually asks me, usually on Saturdays, he'll ask me, do you like your sermon? Uh, how's your pre- preparation going this week? And, and I, I'll tell him, you know, this is hard, this is this, this is that, you know, different things. And yesterday I told him, I said, I love this passage. I, I think it's a phenomenal passage. It's ten verses and it's full of miracles. Who wouldn't love that, right? I mean, who, who, who wouldn't love to sit down today and, and study ten verses about a, a pa- full of miracles of Christ as he shows us how powerful he is? So I love that, but that's not the main point. As I was reading through it, and it's miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, and we see his power. One word stuck out to me in this passage, and you'll see it there in verse 32. He says, I have compassion on the multitude. So it's not just ten verses full of miracles, it's ten verses full of compassion. 
that Jesus does these miracles to show us that He cares. I love that. He does this to show us in this room today, not just these in this passage, but to show us that He cares about us. These are ten verses full of care. So I titled the sermon, A Savior Who Cares. Because Jesus' heart, the heart of God, is on full display in this passage this week. We get to see how much God cares about us. So let's stand together. And I want to read these ten verses. Again, ten verses full of miracles. Ten verses full of compassion. You're here today. You're here on a good day. I think I say that every week, don't I? Well, you're here on a good day. Uh, and those that are watching online, you're here on a good day. You're watching a, a great sermon here, a great passage, a Savior who cares. So let me read these ten verses, starting in verse 29, and you'll see just how much He cares. The actions that He takes to show us that He cares about us. Verse 29, And Jesus departed from thence, and came nigh to the Sea of Galilee, and went up into a mountain, and sat down there. And great multitudes came unto Him, having with them those that were, and here's a who's who, of hurting people. Those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others. And they cast them down at Jesus' feet, and He healed them. Insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, the lame to walk, and the blind to see. And they glorified the God of Israel. What a great passage. Let's move on down, because there's more. Then Jesus called His disciples unto Him and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away fasting lest they faint in the way. So now he's going to feed these people. You're saying, we've already heard this, Josh. This is deja vu. It's a repeat. No, he's doing it again. That's how much he cares. Watch what it says. His disciples say unto him, Whence should we have so much bread in the wilderness as to fill so great a multitude? And Jesus saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? And they said, seven and a few little fishes. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fishes. And he gave thanks and brake them. And he gave to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did, underline this, all eat. And they were filled. And they took up the broken meat with, uh, that was left, seven baskets full. And they that did eat were 4,000 men, not to mention the women and the children. And he sent away the multitude and took ship and came into the coast of Magdala. So there's a passage full of not only miracles, but full of the compassion of Christ. So let's, let's pray together and then we'll study about a Savior who cares. Father, we thank you for passages like these. We live in a world that is uncaring, unkind. We say mean, vicious, brutal. Uh, all we have to do is to get on social media and it's, it's brutal. There's uncaring people unkind people, and even in churches. But God, it's good for us to open up Your Word and see that there is someone who cares. And not just cares a little bit, but cares deeply. Cares enough to do something about it. That sees a need and in compassion goes to meet it. So we're thankful we have a Savior who cares. Help us to learn that today. Help us not just to know it in our minds, but to know it in our hearts. That we have a God in heaven who cares deeply about us. Cares about the big things, the little things, and the most important things. So God, help us have ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to comprehend, and hearts to receive, and then wills to obey what your word teaches us here today. Help us today. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. I want to ask you a question. It's a question that you may have never been asked before. It's a theological question. I want to get us all thinking about God as we start out here today. It's a good thing to think about God in church. If you can go to church and never have to think about God, you're not in a good church. So I want you to think about God today, and I want you to answer this question. What is your favorite thing about God? I've asked my kids that this week, riding down the road. I asked them, what is your favorite thing about God? I asked my wife, what is your favorite thing about God? I asked people, everybody come in my office this week, they'd come for different things, and I'd say, what is your favorite thing about God? I know that we all love everything about God, or we should. We love God in, in His totality. That's how Emma answered the question uh, this week. I said, Emma, what do you love most about God? What's your favorite thing about God? And she had the greatest answer, everything. <laughs> So I, you can't say that. You have to give me one thing. So I want you to answer that question. What is your favorite thing about God? And I've gotten several answers this week. I got His sovereignty, that He is, he is God and we are not. That He's above us, that He's in control of all things. That they love that about God. That's great. I got His love. I think my boy, one of my boys said forgiveness. We, we've seen, I've seen, let me see some other answers. We've seen His, 
His power, that He's able to do anything that you ask Him to do. That there's nothing that is impossible with our God. That's a great characteristic of God. I've seen His his wrath. (laughs) That's a little bit funny, but okay, if that's your favorite thing. Uh, if, if that's what you love most about God, that He's going to judge people, then so be it. You've got to love everything about God. But I want to give you one today that it may be not your favorite, but it should be on your list. It should be on your top five. And it is His compassion. It is that God cares about us. That our God is not a distant God. He's not removed, isolated, withdrawn, or indifferent. He's not sitting up in heaven and doesn't have a care in the world about anybody down here. That's not who our God is. Understand this. All the gods of the world are distant. All the fake, phony, idolatrous gods of the world are indifferent, they are removed, they are distant, isolated, and withdrawn from their people. They don't care. But we have a one true and living God in heaven who cares about His people. That's what sets Him apart from all the other gods is we have a God who cares. No other God. Get this, I went through some of the religions this week and looked at their gods. Their gods don't care about them. They're fake, they're made up, they're, they're somewhere off in a distance, and they don't care about anybody or anything but themselves. Fake, made up gods. What makes this one of my most favorite things about God is it sets Him apart from all the other gods. Our God cares about us. He looks down on us and He feels for us. He looks down on us and His heart, God has a heart, and it goes out to us. The Bible says, get this, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Lamentations 3 says this, and you ought to mark this one down. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassion fails not. It is new every single morning. Every morning when you get up, you have a God whose heart goes out to you. That is a great attribute of God. That's who our God is. And, and I want to give you a picture of that compassion today. Because we see that most obviously in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand this. I'm not going to give you a definition of compassion. I could. I could give you the Greek word for compassion. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I don't think Jesus shows up on the scene in the New Testament and says, let me give you the word for compassion. When Jesus shows up on the scene, He doesn't give a word on compassion. He doesn't give a Greek word for compassion, a Hebrew word for compassion. He doesn't describe compassion. He doesn't give you a sermon on compassion. Jesus gives you an example of compassion. Jesus gives you a a picture of compassion. So that when you see Him, you see a ministry and a life full of compassion and care. We've seen that all through the, the Gospel of Matthew. And I, I want you to see this before we get into the points. Because he's in 15 chapters, he's walked through Israel. He's been around his people. And repeatedly, he has shown them care. The Bible says he went about doing good everywhere he went. I mean, he would go in, and you, you've seen that. He would go in and he'd heal people just everywhere he went. He's healing, he's loving, he's caring, he's feeding, he's doing all these things, showing that he cares for his own people. And they continually rejected that. He cared for them and they kept saying, we don't want you. They didn't like it. So he goes into this passage this week. He's not in Israel. He's not around the Jews. He's not around his own people. He steps into enemy territory. He steps into uh, Gentile territory. We saw last week he was in Tyre and Sidon. That's the Gentile area. Nobody went there. There was a, there was a territorial line and probably a sign that says, you are now, uh, I used to love that. You'd go into pound and it would say, you are now entering wildcat territory. <laughs> yeah. God's country. <laughs> There's somebody from Gate City coming here earlier this week and he, said, he was talking about how he loved Gate City. I said, you know that's devil's country, right? <laughs> Pound's God's country. Wildcat territory. When you walked into Gentile territory, there was a line that you Jews wouldn't go. If you got Gentile dirt on your feet, you had to go wash it off. If you got Gentile dirt on your hands, you had to go and scrub your hands. These are not people they wanted to be around. So Jesus, He walked into Tyre and Sidon. And today He walks into Decapolis, which is the ten cities of the Gentiles. These are dirty, nasty, filthy, outcast. Uh, I mean, people that you didn't want to be around. These are people that were God-forsaken people. 
So Jesus goes into this Gentile territory. You're now entering, and they call them dogs. I said that last week. You're entering dog country. Filth. Don't go here. And Jesus goes walking in. And He's not showing He cares for the Jews. That's obvious. Those are His own people. He goes into a place where nobody cared about those people. Nobody. And I want you to understand this. We're not Jews. We are Gentiles. So when we see Him walk into Gentile territory and He feeds them and He heals them and He loves them and He cares for them, you know what that says to me? He cares for me. He cares for you. He cares for people in Big Stone Gap, Virginia today. So He shows us today that He cares for more than just one small nation in the world. He cares for the whole world. That's what this passage teaches us today. We have a Savior, and I almost titled it this week, we have a Savior who cares for everybody. I'm going to say that again. I thought that would get a whole lot of amens. We have a Savior who cares for everybody. He's not just the Savior of the Jews. He is the Savior of the Gentiles too. He's not just caring for a nation. He's caring for the world. And when He does this in this passage, this is what He's doing. I love this. He's reaching His arms, not around a nation. And the Bible says that repeatedly when it says, for God so loved the the world. It's, It's going beyond one small nation of Israel. And He loves the world. He's wrapping His arms around the world. His heart goes out. Who does His heart go out to? Not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles and the whole world. We have a Savior who cares for everybody. I said, this is a great passage. And when I say everybody, again, that includes me. That's what makes this, I should have titled it that. A Savior who cares for me. A Savior who cares for you. A Savior who cares for us. That as He looks at the world we're in right now, and we're all struggling, every single one of us. I look around this room today and I think, July... Everybody should, we should have a packed house today. But I understand what's going on. It hurts. It's hard. And he looks down at us right now, wearing masks, social distancing. Life's not normal, but we have a Savior in heaven who cares for us. That's good news. You need that. You can't get that news on CNN. You can't get that news on MSNBC. You can't get that news on a sports channel anymore. You ain't getting it on Facebook. You know what you get? You come to church and you hear, we have a Savior who cares. So let's look at that today. A Savior who cares for everybody. And you guys are going to love this. I have two points today. So you're going to say, I get out early today. We'll see. So We'll see. Two points. That's all, that's all that I have. We, have. we have two sets of miracles here. We have two points. I want to show you that Jesus cares about the hurting. And I want to show you second that He cares about the hungry. So th- th- there it is. He cares about the hurting. Let's show you first, first point number one. Starting in verse 30 there. Jesus cares about the hurting. He cares about those who are hurting. And I want to say this right now. That's good news because there's a lot of us here today that are hurting. So look what it says. And a great multitude... Come unto Him. He's, he's on a mountain in verse 29. He steps into enemy territory. He's in Decapolis. That's what Mark 7 and Mark 8 says. He's in the, the area of the ten cities. He goes into a mountain and He sits down and a multitude. And they've heard about Jesus and they are flocking to Him. Uh, multitudes, and it says later on in the passage, about 4,000 men. Not including the women and the children. We, we've talked about this that probably would up it. If, if every one of those men had wives, they're at 8,000. If they all had one kid, they're at 12,000. If they were like me, they're up in the 20s. So the, the more kids they had, the more the crowd would grow. I would think it's somewhere between twelve and 16,000 people that are flocking to Him sitting on that mountain. And again, these aren't Jews like it was in Matthew chapter 14. These are Gentiles. These are the dogs. These are the enemies. These are the outcasts. These are the ones nobody cared about. They're flocking to Jesus. Crowding around him in that mountain, and there's no social distancing. They're all on top of him. He's sitting there around him. And it says, they cast the hurting. You see this? I love that word. I'm a word guy. It says, they cast them down at Jesus' feet. They cast them. That's a great word. They line up and they bring their hurting. And the word cast means, get this, they fling them, they hurl them 
This isn't a violent cast. This is, this is, we're, we're out of hope. We've abandoned all hope and the only thing we can do now is to bring our hurting and throw them at the feet of Jesus. That's what the word cast is. We have nowhere else to go but to bring the people that are hurting and lay them at the feet of Jesus. We are desperate. We are out of hope. We have nowhere else to turn. We've tried. Again, these are Gentiles. They didn't worship God. They worshiped gods. They worshiped idols. They worshiped these, these, these made-up bales. They, they worshiped these asteroids. They worshiped the, the Greek gods. They, they, they would have all these little things that they would bring their sick to and, and lay it at a statue. They'd say, heal, heal him. And those statues are dead. They're dumb. They can't do nothing. So they'd say, they can't do it. He can't do it. It can't do it. All these Greek gods that you hear about today can't do nothing for those people who are hurting. So they go to the one God who can do something. They throw them at His feet. They abandon. They give all hope to Him. I can give you some application here. Oh, that we cared about our spiritual health the way we do our physical health. Jesus on the top of that mountain and they've got all these sick people and they just bring them and lay them at His feet lining up, crowding around. 12,000 people. Oh, that we cared about our own souls and our own spiritual health the way we do about our physical health. And oh, that we cared about others' spiritual health the way we do about their physical health. We'll line waiting rooms up just to get better physically. We'll wear masks to keep ourselves physically healthy. What are you doing to maintain your spiritual health? We will go to great lengths to make sure we are physically healthy. But what are we doing to make sure... What lengths do you go to to make sure you're spiritually healthy? You've got people who, who will go to... I mean, they, they'll exercise. They'll go to the doctor eight times a week. I mean, all these things to make sure they're physically healthy. But how, how much work do they do to make sure they're spiritually healthy? Won't grace the church doors. Won't open a Bible. It's got dust on it that you could write hell in it on it. What are we doing to make sure we're spiritually healthy? They were lining up. They were flocking. They were casting at, at His feet. You know what the problem is? We care about our physical health, but we truly don't care about our spiritual health. So they bring them to Jesus. And who do they bring? I said it's a who's who of hurting. He brings the lame. So they're bringing people that can't walk. They're, they're carrying them to Jesus. They bring the blind. I mean, you can picture this in your mind that Jesus is sitting on that mountain and they're bringing the, the lame that can't walk. They're carrying them there. Oh, that we cared about... Uh, do you see that? I mean, if we cared about the spiritual health of our friends and our family and our loved one, that we would bring them to Jesus. That's the best place they can be. He brings the lame to Jesus, the ones that can't walk, the blind, the ones that can't see, the dumb, the ones that can't talk, and the maimed. I love that word maimed there. It means the ones that are mutilated. The ones that are crippled. The ones that have lost a limb. That's lost an eye. That's lost an ear. That their arm has been cut off. That they don't have a leg. They're walking with a, with a crutch. That's what that word maimed means. It, it's crippled. So they're bringing in, it says many others. We don't know what other kinds of sicknesses. There, there could be lepers. There, there could be all kinds of people that are just flocking to Jesus on that mountain. And I, I thought that list was great. Because we are all a who's who of hurting people in this church today. And Jesus is... Open to the hurting. We're going to see that in a second. That His heart goes out to these people. We have issues. We are hurting. And Jesus is sitting there. Bring me. Like the Statue of Liberty. Bring me. Bring me your hurting. Bring me your sick. Bring me your lame. Bring me your death. Bring me your dumb. Bring me your maimed. Bring me. Bring me. Bring me. His heart goes out to hurting people. That's great news today. He's drawn to them. He feels for them. No one, J.C. Ross said this, no one ever seemed to have felt so much when he saw a crowd like Jesus. He just felt so deeply. And again, these are Gentile, pagan, godless people. And his heart going out to them. That's what compassion is. That you feel deeply for someone. That you feel so deeply that it moves you to do something for someone. I've said it before. We'll be driving through Big Stone and there'll be a, a beggar on the side of the road with a sign. And me and Steph, I'll look at her and say, boy, my heart goes out to him. Boom. <laughs> right on by. True compassion says my heart goes out 
and I want to do something to help them. That's compassion. Not just I feel for them, not just I'm in their shoes, but I want to be moved to action to do something. So Jesus sees the crowd, and His heart goes out to them, and and He cares for them, but true compassion says, I must do something for them. And it says that in verse 31, in so much, or at the end of verse 30, and, it's so simple there, and He healed them. In so much that the dumb who had never spoken before now speaks. Do you see that? In so much as the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb that couldn't speak, never spoke before, and now they speak. The lame that had never walked before, now walk. The blind who had never seen anything before, now sees. And the maimed, and then again, this is my favorite one, are now made completely whole. We can't overlook that. The maimed, get this, they would bring someone who didn't have an arm. Are you with me on this? And when he left, he had an arm. They would bring somebody who had had his eye poked out. And when he left, he had an eye. Or someone who, who didn't have an ear. We, we know Jesus did that too. Peter cut off his ear and Jesus said, boom, right back. Someone who didn't have an ear. And Jesus would, they, they would leave after seeing Jesus and they had an ear. They were made completely whole. It was full, total, complete wellness. Now let me say this and I'll move on. There's not a faith healer in the world today that can do that right there. They'll do all kinds of tricks. They'll do all kinds of little things trying to make you think they can fix back pain. And they can fix worry. And they can fix walking. You know, all these different things that you can't really tell. Have you ever seen anybody walk into them and say, I don't have an arm and walk out and they've got an arm? No, they can't. They won't even try that. You can't fake that. They need a movie theater or a movie studio to do that. You never bring that. Bring somebody with them with no legs. Bring a vet to them. Fix this. We can't. Jesus can. And Jesus does. They walk away completely healed. And how long do they do this? I want you to see this and I'm really going to move on. Two points, right? (laughs) It says that they kept doing this for three days. Verse 32. And they continue with me now for three days. It turned into a three-day event. They couldn't get enough. They bring, He heals. They bring, He heals. Ten cities. They bring, He heals. They bring, He heals. They didn't want to leave Jesus. And they, the Gentiles, respond. Watch this. Insomuch that the multitude wondered. (laughs) It's a great word. They had never seen anything like this before. They were utterly astonished. They were over the top floored. It says, and I marked it, it's the same passage in Mark says this, and they were beyond measure astonished. Their mouths dropped. They had never experienced anything like this before. I mean, the blind, they bring the blind man up there to him, and Jesus, they come back and the guy can see. They bring a guy who couldn't walk, and he's now running down the hill, a guy with no arm, and now he's throwing stuff. And they were like, wow, we've never seen anything like this. And then it says, in verse 31, and they glorified, they honored, they praised who? Not the idols of the Gentiles but the God of Israel. They identify that it's not one of their idols. It has to be the God of the Jews. I love that. It's so different from the Jews. When Jesus did miracles for His own people, they looked at Him and said, He has to be doing that by the power of Satan. Do you remember that? We're just, just a chapter removed or two from that. And now, the Gentiles respond with, He is either from God, of God, or He is God. Only God could do what He's doing. They glorified the God, looking at Jesus, the God of Israel. This is the God. This is the the, the Lord. This is the Savior. This is the Messiah. They're looking at Him with full faith. He has to be from God. Jesus is putting God on full display in front of these Gentiles. What a time. And I'll move on. I want to apply this. You know what they're truly amazed at? And I want you to get this. It's not the power He displayed. 
It's the compassion that he showed. Because nobody, this is what amazed them. This is what made them want to glorify the God of Israel. It wasn't the power that he showed. It was the compassion that he showed. No one had ever cared for them like Jesus. That's what floored them. That's what amazed him. Jesus wasn't seeing nameless faces and numbers in the crowd. When they came to him, he saw people who were hurting. And he cared enough to do something for them. Nobody had ever cared for them like Jesus. Now let me apply it. Do you think Jesus cares less now than he does then? Do you think he'll do less for us than he did then? I think we have a Savior who cares just as much now, seated at the right hand of the throne of God on high, as he did right then for those Gentiles. If he cared for them, you better believe he cares for us. And that his heart goes out to us. Those who are hurting, those who are in the middle of a pandemic, those who are in the middle of of protests and riots and a a nation that's in an uproar, when our foundations of our very country are shaking and all of us are scared to death, all of us are hurting. He cares about us. He cares about the hurting. And He's moved to action. It's not just Him saying, oh, I feel bad. No, 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 no. He cares enough to do something for us. So He cares now And we must care. I'll say this. He doesn't care less now. And we need to care more now. Watch this. And this this may hit you. It hit me. Because this compassion must be the heart of God's people. I'll give you a verse. Colossians 3.12 says, Put on therefore as the elect of God. God's people. First thing it says. Put on. Wear this. Bowels of mercy. The word is put on compassion. You need to care like He cared. I'll say it this way. We need to care. In order for us to be Christ to the world, we must care about those who are different than we are. We must care about those who disagree with us. These were pagan, idolatrous people that worshipped false gods. Christians today act more like Pharisees than they do Christ. In that we see people who don't worship who we worship and how we worship. And we want to go ahead and write them off and have nothing to do with them and not care a thing about them. Your, your views are different than mine. Your theology is different than mine. I'm not saying they're brethren and belong in the church. But I am saying that Christ would have compassion on them. And the church acts more like Pharisees than like Christ. That we push them away. We stay away. We don't want to, ooh, we don't want to be around their dirt. We, we care about the ones that are different than us, who disagree with us, who are pagan, godless, sinful, nasty, and even gross. So much so that people would say, no one has cared for me like Christians. And they would glorify the God of the Christians for how much we cared. So we've seen, and I'll, we're moving on, He cares about the hurting. That's the big stuff. But let me move to the last point. We're doing real well on time. I might add a third point. (laughs) You about have to, right? It's not a full sermon. Josh has ain't giving us enough today. So we've seen that he cares about the hurting. I want to show you second that he cares about the hungry. I want to go from the big things. No arm's a big thing. No eyes, a big thing. No ears, a big thing. Can't walk, that's a big thing. Can't talk, that's a big thing. Can't hear, that's a big thing. Can't see, that's a huge thing. These are big things. Down to my belly's growling. You, you with me there? You, you see what I'm saying? He goes from the big things that he cares about down to, the, to the, one of the smallest things that he cares about. He cares about my belly growling. He cares about my boys who, who every hour they look at me and say, Dad, I'm hungry. Dad, I'm hungry. Dad, I'm hungry. He cares about, get this, not just those who are hurting, he cares about those who are hungry. Look what it says. I, I, I mean, I, I probably love this passage too much. Is that possible? Verse 32, then Jesus called his disciples unto him. They've been doing this for three days. And he said, you see this? He notices these people. They've been with him for three days. They have nothing to eat. He says they're on the verge of, he says they're fainting collapsing, 
Jesus sees the need. Let me show you this. If you go back a chapter where Jesus fed the 5,000 Jews, the disciples came to Him and said, the people are hungry. We need to do something. Send them away. (laughs) The disciples noticed it when it was their own people. When it's not their people, who notices it first? It wasn't the Jews saying, hey, the Gentiles are hungry, Jesus. It's Jesus who says, these people are hungry and I don't want to send them away faint. The Jews are sitting there, the disciples are sitting there saying, yeah, you know, we don't really need to feed these people. But as Jesus says here, called the disciples unto him and said, I have compassion. I care. He said it out loud. He wants the disciples to hear it. And I think he wants the crowd to hear it. And I think he wants us to hear it. I care about these people. He says that. I mean, I have compassion on the multitude. I care about, he says that. It, 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 my heart goes out to the Gentiles, these dogs, godless pagans. My heart goes out to them. It touched him deeply when he saw this crowd. And he says, and I won't let them go away hungry. <laughs> you see that? I have compassion on them. They've been with me for three days. They have nothing to eat. And I will not send them away without food, lest they faint on the way home. That's compassion. I see the need, and I will not let them go home without eating. Steph's mamaw used to be just like that. i got to stop. I mean, it, it's, she comes to my mind when I think about this. She's been gone several years, but I remember when I first started dating Steph, I would go to their mamaw's house. They called her Nan. And I'd walk in there just a teenager. And every time, from the first time I went, I think the first time I went, I was dressed in a tux and we was getting ready to go to the prom. Steph can correct me if I'm wrong on that. But I walked in the first time, tux on, ready to go, and she said, you want something to eat? (laughs) And every time I ever went to that house, you want something to eat? You want something to eat? You want something to eat? I can't let you leave my house without eating something. We'd go in there on Thanksgiving and I would walk out feeling like I was about to roll out of there instead of walk out of there. You need some more? You need some more? You need some more? My granny was like that. We'd go into her house and every time we went, there was fried chicken and cornbread. (laughs) Every time you went there, you walked in, fried chicken, cornbread, bowl of candy. (laughs) That's how it was. And you'd walk out of there just just like Seth's Nan and my, my granny. You'd walk out of there and you can't leave without eating. How dare you even try I remember telling Steph, Nan, no one time, Steph looked at me, why would you do that? Like, I can't eat another bite. Eat it. <laughs> <laughs> Saw a need, wanting to meet it. And Jesus said, I'm not letting these people leave. That's what compassion does. I refuse to let these people leave unless I feed them. So his disciples, <laughs> I mean, this is a small need. They're not going to die. It's only been three days. It's like Isaiah, he'll come to me all the time saying, Dad, I'm starving. Are you about to die? And sometimes he says, yeah, you ate an hour ago. So they're not about to die. This is a, a small need, and he still cares about it. Let me just give you, this is theological. This is insight into the heart of God that he cares about us, the hungry He cares about us being fed. Let me just give you a list here. I've only got two points so I can go a little bit deeper. But in the wilderness, what did he do with the Israelites? He fed them. He gave them manna. With David, David said, I've never seen the righteous begging for bread. The Lord's Prayer says, you need to pray this. Give us this day our daily bread. Matthew chapter 14, he gave bread to the Jewish crowd, his own people. Matthew 15, he's feeding a Gentile crowd. In the Last Supper, right before he goes to the cross and dies, he feeds his disciples some bread. And here we are, when we, when we take the Lord's Supper, we're eating of the, the bread. And in the, in, the end time, in the end, when we're all in heaven, he's got a banquet ready for us where he's going to feed us. God cares about us eating. That's an amazing thing. He cares about the small things. I love that. Isaiah, he cares when you tell me you're hungry. Right? He's not indifferent to that. We need to understand that. He cares. So watch what happens in verse 33. The disciples, and I think this is a test. I'll say this is a retake of a test. I've had to do that a few times. Fail the first time, I have to take it again. Because look what they say in verse 33. His disciples say unto him, 
Where are we going to get bread at in the wilderness? There's no place to get anything. Didn't he just feed the multitude? I mean, chapter 14. One chapter before. He just did it. And now they're looking at him saying, where are we going to get it? How can we feed them? I'm sure Jesus, he probably didn't, but if it was me, I'd have rolled my eyes thinking they'd never learn. Don't they know that I, I can do this? Don't they remember? Get this. He's doing this now in the summertime. I'll show you. I mean, you guys are paying such great attention. In chapter 14, he had them all sit down, verse 19, and he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. It's springtime. Chapter 15, he commands the multitude to sit down on the ground, not on the grass. It's gone from springtime, beautiful grass, to summertime, crunchy grass. <laughs> About what we have right now. I walked through Brandon's yard yesterday and it's crunch, 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 crunch. Nothing against him, he just ain't had no rain. So it's, we went from the springtime, him feeding the, the Jewish crowd, to summertime, him feeding the Gentile crowd. I mean, this is just a few months difference and they've forgotten what Jesus can do. He supplies in the spring and they worry in the summer. How could they? Don't we do the exact same thing? He meets our needs this month and we worry next month. We do. Let's not give them such a hard time. I'm sitting here thinking in the springtime, they shut us down and it was a struggle. But God got us through. How are we going to get through it if we do it again? If He got us through then, won't He get us through now? We need to learn to trust Him not just in the springtime, but in the summertime, in the fall time, and in the wintertime. He's giving them another, another test. Where are we going to get it? Well, let me show you. So look, look, look what he does. He says, all right, guys, how many loaves do you got? <laughs> Let's do it again. Like me taking a driver's test. Let's take it again. Failed the last time. And Jesus said unto him, how many loaves do you have? Let's take an inventory. And this is a softball question. The answer should be enough for you, Jesus. Amen. That's what it should have been. <laughs> we could be without anything. It would be enough for you, Jesus. That's a softball question. Toss it up and knock it out. Easy. They fail. <laughs> the answer is, we have, it's a swing and a miss here. We have a, look what it says. Well, we have seven loaves of bread and a handful of fishes. So get this. They've got more food than they had last time and less people. More food, less people. The degree of difficulty has went from a 10 out of 10 to now maybe a 8 or 9 out of 10. But it's still impossible. There's no way this amount of food can feed this amount of people. It's impossible. Unless you take the food you have in your hands and you place it in His hands. Yeah. What's impossible in my hands, I don't know if you guys are getting this. Maybe I'm just enjoying myself by myself. I don't know. What's impossible in my hands becomes probable in His hands. So they take it. Here we go. They take what's in His hand, what's in their hands, and they place in the impossible in my hands, and they place it in His hands, and now it's possible. Look what it says. And they said seven and a few fishes, and He commanded the multitude to sit down on the, the ground, and He took the seven loaves and the fishes. They're in His hands now. In His hands, all things are possible. Amen. We have to take what is impossible with us. We say a pandemic, it's impossible. Give it to Him. Amen. I'm going to say this at the end of the sermon. There's two places we all need to be at His feet and in His hands. Amen. We take our lives, our needs, and we give it to Him. It's in His hands. I love this. I, I preached this just a few weeks ago. In His hands. His creative hands. His powerful hands. His caring hands. His hands that they had just jumped onto Him for being unclean in the first verse of this chapter. Because He touched a Gentile. He's going to take these hands now and feed the Gentiles with them. So in His hands. You need to take all the problems we have and put them in His hands. It's impossible. Give it to Jesus. <laughs> it's impossible. Give it to Jesus. In His hands. And He gives thanks. 
And he breaks, and I love that, he breaks the bread. This decisive act of, of breaking. And Jesus, from His hands, I love this, from His hands, into the disciples' hands, and from His disciples' hands, into Gentile hands. It's being passed down. I want you to go there. Verse 1 of chapter 15. Then came Jesus to, uh, to Jesus' scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, the Jews, saying, Why do thy disciples sin, transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat what? Bread. There's a theme running through this chapter of bread. Even the, the woman that, that came to him with a daughter that was vexed with the devil, she said, all I want is a crumb of bread from the master's table. Bread, bread, bread. They had been around Gentiles and hadn't washed their hands before they eat their bread because the Gentiles were dirty. And now Jesus takes the bread from his hands, gives it to the disciples' hands, and the disciples give it to the Gentile hands. Do you think the Jews are sitting there saying, oh, how dirty <laughs> Oh my! Jesus is showing just how much He cares about the Gentiles. Amen. And He does it over and over and over. I love that. <laughs> he breaks it. He passes it to the disciples who pass it to the, to the Gentiles. And they keep doing it over and over and over. And this is a, a simple statement, but it's so powerful. At some point on the matter, the disciples' hands would be empty. And the Gentiles' hands on the mountain, their hands would be empty. But throughout the entire process, Jesus' hands were never empty. Jesus' hands are never empty. He always has an endless supply that He can give unto empty hands that are coming to Him. Our hands get empty. We run out. We have an endless supply. Anybody who went and tried to pay with coins lately? <laughs> He pull up to Hardy's to get a sausage and egg biscuit. I want some bread. <laughs> Pay with exact change or a card. There's a, there's a shortage on change. We don't have enough. We're running out. Our hands are empty. You go to the store sometimes. You can't find things. It's empty. It's empty. You go to my bank account sometimes. Guess what? <laughs> it's empty. It's empty. It's empty. It's empty. I mean, it's a, and even in our own strength to preach or to serve or to live and breathe. His hands are never empty. You need supply? It's there. You need healing? It's there. You need help? It's there. Anything you need, His hands are never empty. Keeps creating and breaking and giving and giving. Because that's what a caring Savior does. He gives. He gives. He gives. Oh, how caring our Savior is. He never looked at the disciples and said, they need more? Do you think He did that? He's generous. I love that. Just kept on giving. Brought that down. Jesus' hands are never empty. There's an endless supply. I want to say this in a minute. But this isn't just about bread. This is about saving grace. You get that? I don't know if you all are with me. This is about saving grace. His hands are never empty. Anybody who comes to Him by, by faith, He will save. He will save. He could save one here today. He could save a hundred here today. He could save a thousand online today. He could save an infinite amount of people because His hands are constantly full of saving grace. He can save and feed and fulfill and satisfy the Jews. And He can do it for the Gentiles. His hands are always full. Infinite supply. Endless supply. Never a shortage. Then when you come to Him, He says, I'm out. There's none here. No! Endless supply. To the point where it says, watch this. And they did underline it. I don't have my pen with me or I'd underline it. And they did all eat. And they were all fed. And they were all full. And they were all satisfied. It was the, bread, the best bread they'd ever ate. It was the best fish they'd ever ate. 
And I guarantee you there were some teenage boys in that crowd who could eat me out of house and home. And they kept looking at mom and dad and saying, I want more. The disciples will go and get it and they bring it back. I want more. And go and get it and bring it back. Go and get it and bring it back. Go and get it and bring it back. To the point where, get this, how much was left over? They had leftovers. Seven baskets full. Now there's a difference here between this one and the last one too. The baskets are different. Jews carried around with them a personal basket. About yay big, hole in top. They carried their lunch with them. It's almost like a lunch box. So when he said he had 12 baskets full in Matthew chapter 14, they had little personal lunch boxes full for each one of the disciples to eat out of. What's these seven baskets? These seven baskets, if you want to go into Acts chapter 13, same word there used basket is the basket that they lowered Paul down in. This basket would be something that in the nighttime, when the Gentiles were sleeping out in the cold, they would put themselves inside the basket and sleep in them. This was a hamper-sized basket. <laughs> That's great. He's not, this is, there's more left over than there was last time. Twelve little small personal baskets, seven hamper-sized baskets that I could tuck myself in. And the disciples, that's how they're, they're not just handing it out like this, they're handing it out by the basket full. And they bring back, and it's full of fish and bread, seven baskets left over. There's more than enough to go around, is what he's saying. I'll say it too, there's more than enough grace to go around. There's more than enough saving grace to go around. He fed twelve to 16,000 here. <laughs> Multiple servings. He could have fed four million there. Are you with me on that? He could, if there's four million people sitting on that on that hillside, every one of them could have been fed. I'll even go further than that. He could have fed the entire universe if he'd wanted to. Because in his hands there is infinite supply and his hands are never empty. He's been feeding his people, multitudes of his people, for centuries. His hands are never empty. So I'm going to close. I know it's a short time today. You guys are going to love me. Pat me on the back for this. This is a miracle beyond all miracles. It's creative. He is creating bread that didn't have to be baked. Are you with me on that? I mean, it didn't have to, it didn't have to go in the oven. It's coming out of His hands. And He is creating fish that was already dead. That didn't have to go through the process of it being alive and him catching it and him killing it and then breaking it up and passing it out. It's already dead. He create, and these are the same hands that created the, the fish, and I think is on, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, day five. These are the creative hands of Almighty God that's doing this miracle. And it's more. And I've got to move to the, to the main point of the whole thing. Jesus cares about the hurting and the hungry Gentiles. That's what we're saying here. It's His nature. It's who He is. He cares for those who have needs. He's the only... I say He's the only true God, but He's the only God that cares about His people. Amen. None of the other fake gods do. It's in His nature. It's in His character. It's who He is. And He's not just caring for the Jewish people He's not just caring for one tiny, small nation in the Middle East. That's what Israel is. It's a tiny, small nation of people. You know, Twelve tribes, one nation. And that's what they thought back then. He only cares about this one nation. You see that throughout the New Testament that Jesus is trying to show them. It's not just that I care for one nation. He does care for that nation. But oh, His care goes out and far beyond that one nation. He cares for the, the whole world. He cares for the, the Gentiles. He cares for those who are outsiders. Those who are outcasts. He cares for, get this, the red and yellow, black and white, they are all precious in His sight. Amen. Jesus loves all the people of the world. I love that. Don't you guys love that? Because if it was just the Israelites, if it was just a nation in, in Israel in the Mideast, that would leave me out. I am the outcast. I, I, I am the outsider, and we all are. But Jesus cares about us very deeply. He cares about, I want to say this, not just me, He cares about you. 
We have kids in here today. I know they're looking at me, watching me, and I'm trying to pay attention. He cares about you. They need to know that. He cares about you. And not just you. He cares about your needs. He cares about you when you're hurting. He cares about you when you're hungry. His heart goes out to you to meet those needs. That's who He is. That's what He is. And we are thankful. It's one of my favorite things about God is He cares about me. I can even say it online today. He cares about you. Fill in the blank. Even whoever you, whatever you want to say. Yes, His heart goes out to you. If it goes out to these Gentiles on this mountain, pagan, idolatrous, dogs, He cares about us too. And there's enough supply to go around for every single one of us. It's not like he's going to say, oh, I can't give Josh too much because I need to give, still need Brandon some. No. He can give me. He can give you. He can give you. He can give all. Just keep on giving. Whatever your need is, he can supply. My God can supply all my needs according to his riches and his glory. He's got a storehouse full that never runs out. But, there is, you say, Josh, I knew there's a but. You have to place that need in his hands. You have to bring that need to his feet. Are you with me? A lot of times we try to hold it here, try to do it here. We mean to bring it to him, cast it at his feet, and place it in his hands. In his hands, what's impossible with me becomes possible with him. And the second application I want to make, and the last one, and I think this is where I'll add a third point. You guys, you guys okay with that? Jesus cares about the hurting. Jesus cares about the hungry. Jesus cares about the hell-bound sinners. Because that's what this is all about. This whole, the whole point of this passage was to prepare His disciples for Matthew 28, go into all the world. That's the whole point of it. Don't just go to a nation and to a people. Johnny mentioned this morning in Sunday school. Start with Abraham. By your seed, I'll bless. And here it is in Matthew 28. The blessings are pouring out. The storehouse has been opened. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Tell them that there's enough saving grace to go around. That's the whole point. I love that. It's one thing to heal a body. It's one thing to feed with bread. That's a tiny, small, little need. But it's another thing that He cares about our greatest need. Not our physical need, but our spiritual need. Our souls. He cares about that. And, and Jesus, <laughs> He went the extra mile to meet that need. Oh, He fed. That's one thing. Oh, He healed. That's, that's another thing. These are physical needs. And, and, and I love those. He'd meet our physical needs. But it's more than physical. It's more than right now. It's more than here and now. It, it, it has to go beyond. Because our greatest need is an eternal spiritual need. And that need must be met. And I can't meet that by myself. I must give it to the one who can. It's impossible for me to save myself. It's impossible for me to, to, to pay for my own sins. Somebody must help me. The greatest need in the world is spiritual. We need to be saved. And He must act. He must care enough about hell-bound sinners to act on our behalf. And what does He do? Watch this. You guys are going to love it. We're going to get amens out of this one. John 3.16 He goes the extra mile to meet our greatest need. Not a big need. Not a small need. But our greatest need. Salvation. And what does He do? John 3.16 For God so loved. That's compassion. You with me? That's the compassion. That's the care. God's heart went out to He's so loved. And I've heard theologians say it. I've heard commentaries say it. That that so doesn't really mean so in, in that I love you so much. I think it does. I may be wrong. But if I'm wrong on that by saying God loves us so much, I'll be wrong. Call me wrong. Call me a heretic for it. Because I say God loves us so much. I do that to my kids. I've done it to Emma this morning. I woke her up. She said, Dad, it's too early. It's <laughs> like, yeah, we've got to go to Sunday school. Too early. I was laying there in bed with her and I said, I love you so much. 
I say it to Steph, I love you so much. I say it to my boys. They, they're getting to the age now where they're like, oh, Dad. I love them so much. I love Gracie Bell so much. And God in John 3.16 says, I love you so much. How much? How much does He love us? How much does His heart go out to us? How far will He go to show us He loves us? For God so loved. And who does He love? The world. You, you with me there? Not just one nation. Not just one nation. But the world. An infinite amount of people. For God so loved the world that He... There's your action. And how much did He give? He gave His only begotten Son. He gave the one that in the inner Trinitarian relationship from before we can ever imagine, there was an infinite amount of love. He gave... His only begotten Son. How much does He love us? That He gave us that. Not bread. Not healing. Those are good things. But His Son. He was so moved in love towards us that He gave us His only begotten Son. That whosoever... You guys with me on this? Whosoever. I've seen my mom wear a shirt that says, I'm a whosoever. Me too. Amen. You know what that means? That there's an endless supply. That means that there's an infinite supply of saving grace. That His hands are never empty. That He will never run out of saving grace. That whoever comes to Him, He will not cast out. He will not turn away. If you come to Him in saving faith, there's always going to be saving grace. I want to say that again. If you come to Him in true, genuine, authentic, saving faith, there will always be saving grace that He gives out. I love that when I came to Him many years ago, walked the aisle, He didn't say, I'm out. No! Infinite supply of saving grace. All the sins of your past. All the sins of your future. All of it has been forgiving. Saving grace has been given to Josh. Oh, what a, what a generous God we have. It's saving grace. When did He do that for you? He's doing it for you now. If you confess your sins, He's faithful and just to forgive it. Over and over and over and over. His hands are never empty. Full of saving grace. We have a Savior who cares. I love that. Romans 1.16 says, The Gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who will believe. Infinite supply. Anyone who believes. Everyone who believes. Gets salvation. Wow. There's enough to go around. I said it and I'll say it again. It, it bears repeating. Today, He could save twelve to 16,000 people and it wouldn't be hard. <laughs> here. Here. Somebody online, you could believe in faith right now in your living room. You know what He would do? He'd save you. Here you go. Here you go. You say, I'm an outcast. Nobody loves me. Oh, He does. I'm a dog. Nobody would ever care for me like that. Oh, he does. You're sitting in your house by yourself. I'm just talking here. You're sitting in your house by yourself, alone, and you think nobody in the world cares about me. Nobody thinks that I'm, knows that I'm here. Nobody would care if I died right now. There's a Savior who cares about you. And if you believe, He'll save you. What, what, a, what a Savior we have. He would save twelve to 16,000 right now in, in an instant. He would save 4 million right now. He would save worldwide right now. But what I want to get to is He would save one right now. One. One, if you'll believe. So I urge you today, I plead with you today, to care about your own soul the way Jesus cares about your soul. Care about your soul as much as this church cares about your soul. Everything we do is, is, is because we care about your soul. The Bible says the pastors are shepherds of souls. Do you, that, that, that's weighty. I care about your souls. Because Jesus cared about my soul. So I ask you today, I urge you today to think about where you are spiritually. Not where you are physically because you have those needs and you, you're hurting and you're hungry. I get that. It's hard for you. I understand. 
But that's not nearly as important. That, that's just for now. That's temporal. You need to care more now about your eternal need than you do your temporal need. Or your spiritual need more than you do your physical need. Oh, that we had a country... That, I don't want to get into it. I don't got time. You guys thought you were getting out early. Oh, that we had a country that cared so much, as much, about their spiritual need as they do their physical need. Everybody's shutting down. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong over a virus. The whole nation, the economy, stores, churches, shutting down all over the place because they're scared of a physical virus. But if that was gone, do you think we'd care even close about our spiritual need? The greatest need of our nation isn't a vaccine for the coronavirus. The greatest need of our nation is for them to turn to the Savior and have their sins forgiven. I hope we cared about that like we do the others. So I urge you today, and don't think about your physical needs. He cares about those. But today, right now, think about your spiritual needs. And whatever that is, I urge you today, plead with you, please. He cares. He cares. Turn to Him. Give your soul. Lay your soul at His feet and your needs in His hands. Your soul at His feet. Cast your soul. I'm, I'm all yours. You're my only hope. At His feet. And then give your needs to His hands. And they'll be well taken care of. Why? Because we have a Savior who cares. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word today. I pray it goes out and uh, accomplishes everything that You've set it out to do. And I would love it today if everybody in this room walked out and said, I'm thankful for a Savior who cares. My favorite thing about God is that He cares about me. And if we just thought about that for a minute today, for an hour today, it's been worth our time. So may you be honored by that. God, I've, I have no problem standing up here and preaching about how much you care. May it fall, God, upon open ears, open eyes, open minds, open hearts. May you do what you, only you can do with it. And God, if there's somebody in here who's not saved, they're not thinking about their eternity, their soul, the most important thing, may today be the day that they turn to you in faith and lay their soul, their life, their eternity at your feet. And God, as a church, as individuals, we place every single need that we have into the hands of a capable Savior and trust that you will take care of us and supply every need that we have. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.